Hello and welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for joining us. I'm Malcolm Borthwick, Managing Editor at Bailey Gifford. The Industrial Revolution was the world's first deep transition. Coal and steam transformed how we worked and travelled. People swapped agricultural labour for factory jobs, lured to industrial heartlands such as Liverpool, Hamburg and Boston by the promise of better wages. And steam-powered trains and ships aided the transport of people and goods. However, it wasn't without its drawbacks. Two centuries later, we face climate change, social inequality and biodiversity loss as a direct consequence. Finding solutions to these challenges will require radical innovation and further disruption what some refer to as a second deep transition, a sustainability revolution. In many respects, a second deep transition is clearing up the mess from the first deep transition. Kate Fox is involved in the project to explore what this might mean, led by Utrecht University and the University of Sussex. Kate is joint manager of Keystone Positive Change Investment Trust and the Positive Change Fund. She joins me here in our Edinburgh studio. But before we start the conversation, some important information. Please remember that as with all investments, your capital is at risk and your income is not guaranteed. Kate, thanks for joining us on Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Great to have you with us. Morning. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Uh, So let's start with why are deep transitions relevant to you as an investor? I think there are two key reasons. Firstly, because deep transition needs to happen to undo the harm that's been created by the first deep transition. So you referenced um, the Industrial Revolution, Malcolm, and great things came from that in terms of prosperity, um, technological advancement, etc. But there have been some um, unintended negative consequences, climate change, biodiversity risk, rising inequality. So change needs to happen. And secondly, it's important because from change comes an opportunity. And that's great for long-term growth investors. If we think about the healthcare revolution, that will create exciting areas for us to identify the growth businesses of the future. The agricultural system currently um, is very industrialized. It consumes a huge amount of water, is responsible for up to 20% of global emissions. Change really excites me as an investor um, because that's where we identify the companies that are driving that change because they'll be the companies that will generate attractive investment returns over the coming years and decades. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the Deep Transitions Research Project. One of our former investment managers, James Anderson, began supporting it while he was still at Bailey Gifford. And both James and Bailey Gifford continued to be involved. Let's hear from the leader of the project, Professor Johann Schult from Utrecht University's Centre for Global Challenges. He describes himself as a time traveller. Earlier, I asked him why. It means that I mobilise the past to think about the future. So I try to understand the past, the way it constrains our current behaviour, but also the way it enables new type of behaviors because the past consists on the one hand of dominant patterns, dominant ways of doing things, but on the other hand, it also consists of roads not taken or alternative practices that have never become dominant, that but may become inspiration for the future. And the past can also be used to test some of our ideas and to develop theories. So when we travel to the future, we come armed 
with a very good understanding of the constraints and the enabling factors. And this will help us to build scenarios and ways of thinking about the future. And that's Johan Scholt, time traveller and founder of the Deep Transitions Research Project. What attracted you to the project, Kate? Firstly, there's a huge alignment around the, a sustainability revolution, as you described it, and being an impact investor with positive change. We're trying to address those global challenges such as climate change, biodiversity loss and rising inequalities. Secondly, the long-termism. So to come across a project that was thinking over the last 250 years was really quite unique. And as part of the project, we've been imagining future world scenarios, thinking to 2030 and 2050. Thirdly, impact investing tends to be quite a collaborative discipline. So I was looking forward to learning and interacting with investors from different parts of the world, the global north, the global south, and people that are involved in public investing and private investing. And finally, and probably most importantly, I was really excited about it being an opportunity for me to think differently. You mentioned earlier imagining future world scenarios. Let's get an idea of what that involved. The year is 2050. Changing attitudes to engineered foods have catalyzed the development of lab-grown meat and the use of urban vertical farms growing genetically enhanced fruit and vegetables. New technologies allow enthusiasts to safely experiment with biohacking themselves, leading to fierce competition between megacorporations and open-source citizen-run biolabs. Meanwhile, nature has become a wild space, largely devoid of agricultural activities. Ask yourself these questions. How do these changes occur? How will these developments play out? And what other niche technologies would make this world more desirable? Pretty radical stuff. And that's only one of the future world scenarios you had to consider. Another involved flying cars piloted by artificial intelligence that remove carbon from the air. Well, a third example centred on the use of hydrogen-powered data centres on the moon. These are all exciting ideas that could bring about transformative change in the future. But what did you discover, Kate, that we could put into practical use today? So I've learned to think about companies that we invest in and opportunities of companies that we might invest in differently. I think there are two key elements to that, um, to use some of the language of, of the project and the frameworks. First of all, I think I've got a greater appreciation of the fragility of niches within a system. So what's a niche within a system? A niche within a system is a space of radical innovation. So electric vehicles would have been a niche for a number of years, um, well, decades really, until Tesla did a terrific job of helping them um, transcend beyond a niche. Um, Plant-based meat products or meat alternatives are still relatively niche as it were, so beyond meat burgers. Um, and you know, if we think about Another example might be flying electric taxis. That's still a very early stage niche. And with a niche, you've got to think about all the different actors within the existing system that dominates, whose interest it might not be for those niches to flourish. But that's where we become really important as investors and helping create that space for the niches to flourish. The second way of thinking that really resonated or was that sort of eureka moment for me um, in the project was differentiating between systems optimization and systems transformation. Can you give me an example? So 
Electric vehicles, they're helping optimise the current mobility system. They are terrific in that they are less carbon intensive than internal combustion engines. So in a way, Tesla's played a vital role in helping optimise the system. Now, the challenge that Johan and his researchers has presented with that um, is that, well, is that optimising the current system, which is that we all think we need to own our own car? Whereas actually transforming the system would be moving towards mobility as a service. So that would be enabled by autonomous vehicles, perhaps the robo-taxi at Tesla, so that these vehicles can be used more often. It's a shared system. So the optimization is almost working and improving within the current system. And the transformation is something that's completely different that's going outside of the system. Give me some other examples of companies that you might be looking at that can make that transformative step? Yeah, so following um, some of the sessions that we'd had with the panel, I tried to explore with colleagues a company called Deer, which we invested in in positive change, which makes their conic green tractors. What excites us about Deer is its precision agriculture equipment, which uses a combination of sensors and cameras and data to help identify what's plant and what's weed so that it can apply herbicides and fertilizers appropriately, which means that we can increase yields by using fewer chemical fertilizers. But what I was um, intrigued to explore is, is this contributing to optimizing the current industrialized um, agriculture system? Or can it contribute towards transformation where we use more regenerative and nature-based solutions? And I think that there is perhaps a case for deer helping to contribute towards that transformation as its precision agriculture equipment can help farmers apply things in a more precise manner. Smaller tractors can be more nimble, more agile, so that they can operate farms which are much less ubiquitous and perhaps a field which has got two crops intercropping, which is much better from a biodiversity perspective. And are you seeing many hugely transformative companies out there? I think we're at a really exciting point that there are a number of technologies that are exciting in isolation, but also in combination come together that can create a fantastic transformation. If we think about Moderna, for example, where it's the understanding of biology combined with data and AI and machine learning, bring that together and you've got something really quite transformative. What are the principles that investors should follow to achieve this second deep transition that we've talked about, the sustainability revolution? So the output of the global panel work was the establishment of a transformative investment philosophy, of which there are 12 principles for different stakeholders to adopt. So investors in the private and public space, policymakers, lots of different people within the within the system, as you like, if you like. Some of those principles are consistent with those that we've been applying at Bailey Gifford for decades. So, for example, principle number two, which is about being long term. Uh, principle number six, which is about embracing uncertainty. And principle number 11, which is about fostering an interdisciplinary research approach. But there are some that I think will help me sort of keep pushing on and advancing. We're always trying to get better at everything that we do at Bailey Gifford. So one of those would be principle number one of the 12 principles, which is transform the system, which we've just explored. And the second one would be principle number five, which is enhance portfolio synergies. So here it's about 
thinking about a collection of ideas or companies that in combination will support one another and maximize the chances of success. So if we go back to the electric vehicle example, we won't be able to transform the mobility system just by coming up with fantastic vehicles. We've got to make sure that we've got the charging network that can support that. We've got to make sure that we've got good batteries and there are a number of different battery companies and technologies. Can we recycle those batteries, Umacore and Northvolt, for example, would contribute towards the recycling. So that's something else that I think um, that I'm really excited about applying. I guess it's a danger of getting tunnel vision about a company and what it's doing without really working out the environment in which it could be successful and what's required for that success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is what this project has done. It's about helping remove the blinkers and think, making sure that we, um, or increasing our chances of thinking at a much broader level, at a systems-wide level, thinking about a company's role within a system and between different systems and all the different connections that are going to be required for a company or a niche to thrive. And let's go back to Johan Schultz here. Earlier I asked him, what's next for the Deep Transitions project? The next phase is about implementation. So how can we implement these IDs in actual investment practice. So the main vision is that we want to bring together a set of front runners who want to experiment with using these IDs in the investment practice and through this develop the narrative around transformative investment. The Deep Transition Lab we want to create should also become a mobilizing force for bringing about change. So it's on the one hand about the front runners, but these front runners need to connect with other investors to enable a larger change in the finance industry the coming decade. Because this is crucially important for enabling the second deep transition that investors will change their practice. Johan Schult there. What excites you about the next steps that Johan was describing? Yeah, I think the primary thing that excites me about it is it's taking all this thinking to actually doing. It's about applying what we've learnt. I love the fact that it's taking an experimental approach and also the long-term approach. So it's not just about doing the experiments. It's about learning from the experiments and using those learnings to help educate the next generation of investors because this is going to be a multi-decade approach. And this just isn't about Bear the Gifford. This is about trying to mobilise interest and action from the wider industry as well as policymakers and others. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, it's going to take lots of different groups within society if it were to be successful in addressing the challenges that we that we face. In some ways, I think this transformative investment philosophy is like a niche within the financial system. <laughs> so it's fragile, but it's important. We want to be able to transform or help to contribute towards the transformation of the financial system so that more capital is deployed towards enabling that second and important deep transition. Because it's the mobilisation of capital that's absolutely crucial here, isn't it, in terms of driving change? Yeah, and I think that's something that I was naive in my understanding when I started out as an investor 20 years ago was the power of capital. Capital can be a really important mechanism for change. It's not the only mechanism for change, but it's a key mechanism for change. And how much of that motivates you personally as an investor? Oh, hugely. I mean, the last seven years have been absolutely the 
the highlight of my career so far. And I'm really excited about the next 15 years of you know, deploying capital towards driving change. And there's a positive note to end on, Kate. Thanks for joining us on Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thank you for having me. And thanks for investing your time in Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. You can find our podcast at bailigifford.com forward slash podcasts or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on TuneIn. And if you enjoyed our conversation about deep transitions, check out previous discussions we've had in the podcast, ranging from the companies disrupting the world's biggest killer heart disease to exploring the innovative Scandinavian country that has unearthed global giants such as Ericsson, Spotify and Ikea. What's its secret? Find out by listening to our podcast. And you heard earlier from Johan Scholt. If you'd like to discover more about his work on transformative investment, visit transformativeinvestment.net. And to stay up to date with the development of the Deep Transitions Lab, you can follow at dtransitions2 on Twitter. That's two the number as opposed to two spelt out. And if you're listening at home, if you're listening in the car, wherever you're listening, stay well. And we look forward to bringing you more insights in our next podcast. Thank you.